0: Hello, this is Hit Pause, a podcast made in San Francisco with more questions than answers. Hello, and welcome back to Hit Pause for this fourth episode of the second season. After we explored the life and the heart of of an entrepreneur, Reza turned venture capitalist. After we chatted a little bit with uh, Jeff Scargill, um, astrophysicist at NASA. And uh, we talked a little bit about their lives as adults. and. Uh, listened in their voice um, the reference to their youth to the children's moments of their life which uh, left a mark which uh, maybe arguably directed their career directed their um, their life um, and shaped their resolve um, with a joy of of a discovery. Um, I want to go back to this joy of a child. Um, In the second episode, we talked about the core needs of a human being. The need to be safe, the need to be seen. um, and, And those core needs are really really deeply rooted i believe in the psyche of a human being and social media today is tapping into the into those engines um, not creating them for that matter let's be very clear in how i i view social media social media did not create those core psychological levers that animate us all Uh, during the advent of new technology transition, new media format and new mediums, which we discussed and explored in the first season. Um, The joys, the power of new ways of communicating, which probably at the time we forgot it all, just as powerful. The ability to listen to an opera remotely through the phone was probably imagined as as a new wonder of the then modern science the arrival of electricity uh, in a in a big city Uh, new technology bewilderment must have been seen as just as magical as scientific or even sometimes maybe diabolical i recently watched the movie about um, Nikola Tesla and Edison called The Current Wars. And and it's a beautiful story about the arrival of what today we take for granted. Um, And yet, which at the time of its introduction was an amazement. And I believe that the emotive power that those novelties have on the human mind taps precisely into that new neuronal connection that is the same phenomenon that gets a kid, a baby, a toddler to learn and to be um, amazed and to have this moment of joy, this moment of, of recognition of a connection between an object and another object, and that there is a meaning. And so today I I wanted to talk a little bit about that. And as I was preparing for this recording, I realized that I had been procrastinating at recording it. And I asked myself why, and it is because it's not easy to go back to a place where as adults, we are not necessarily tapping into the inner child, which is inside all of us, which sometimes we hide very well, sometimes less so, but which is still there, fueling a lot of pent-up emotions, a lot of reactions. Um, And these days news, after this big event of this presidential election, is now proving us how deeply rooted those inner children can be, refusing to see reality, refusing to see a change, um, and and disconnecting the cortex from the primal fears, the primal emotions that um, make us uh, vulnerable, And after reconnecting with this inner child, I realized that the path we can take to do so can take lots of different forms. It can take a symbolic form. It can take a ritual form. It can be a little bit more intellectual. But we all have been a child. We all have been a kid. We all have those memories. And in the corporate world, in our daily interactions, being human also means connecting with or staying aware that the other has that inner child buried inside, sometimes buried sometimes at the surface sometimes well integrated and in a constant negotiation with the adult self Uh, many psychologists modern psychologists young knew that they knew that we have multiple classes of the self the the inner child the adult and the parent Um, and developed psychological tools and methods to engage in negotiation to engage in therapy to engage in uh, our relationship to the world and what strikes me in my own approach to kids is the concept of play and joy and 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 the ability of kids to access that joy when they learn something new there is fundamentally and i'm a true believer that there is fundamentally in the process of learning a uh, pleasure at connecting again those dots look at kids look at your children look at your nephews how's their faces light up when they learn something new. Engaging with a kid in child's play is a very serious matter because it provides, and we'll talk in another episode about the concept of mirroring, it provides a validation that this kid, playing with an adult, the adult having a symbolic position of stature, by being taller, stronger, older, arguably by default, maybe wiser, but certainly more powerful. That child, by playing with an adult or all the children, is learning the joy and the validation of, of making that new connection, of learning a new trick, of proving to herself or himself that she is capable capable of. I'm going slightly deeper here because I still believe as well that there is a direct line to how we can look at or read what social media is trying to make us do. Repeating ultimately a uh, learning a behavior that is tendered to us through the feeds of social media as a mirror to ourselves what is facebook what is the television screen what is a mobile app other than a mirror tender to ourselves trying to play with those connections, those those aha moment to validate us. Because at the heart of play, there is validation, the way I look at it. If I can play, therefore I am, to paraphrase Descartes. I play, therefore I am. And in a corporate innovation situation, there is a certain importance at connecting the colleagues, connecting the corporate subconscious to novel ideas, to novel ways of doing things. And I fundamentally believe that if that is not done with a certain joy, you cannot bridge the gap of the inner angst that an adult will have developed over time through the course of life by incorporating the cognitive aspect of things, the analytical aspect of things. And you cannot be successful at innovation as an adult. You cannot be successful at learning as an adult if you do not introduce play in the equation. Because play and the emotional reaction of joy is the positive emotion that overcomes, that overshadows the angst of not succeeding the angst of not learning the angst of not knowing how to do when we react to a novel situation, even as adults, there is intrinsically a fear of not knowing what's going to go next. And arguably, as we advance in age, in life, with more wisdom, with more exposure to what can go wrong, the psyche has a tendency to put up more walls around uh, the imagination of what could go wrong. Life is complex enough, risky enough. These days, with a world economy crisis, a pandemic, that thinking about the future can be daunting, overwhelming. And so how do we go back to a sense of self, to a sense of inner child connection to soothe the angst of that inner child and reconnect her or him with a sense of play? There, I believe, lies the crux of the matter of complex decisions, like what a public policy is or could be around the handling of a pandemic. There lies the question of corporate innovation. How is it possible to access a safe dialogue about what can go wrong when it's time to change as an organization? There lies the question of a rapport between a manager and an employee around a change of scope, a change of tasks, a change of role. Mm -hmm. Therein lies the angst of the worker who has lost his job at the manufacturing plant and is being told at 55 years old, you have to learn a new skill how do we tap into a certain sense of joy a certain sense of play at a time when the emotions flooding are those of fear and angst i hope i believe maybe i vie for novel ways of thinking about public policies and corporate innovation in modern age that integrate those techniques in one of the future episodes i'll I'll invite a good friend of mine who is a corporate coach to talk about those themes when i hear him talk privately he talks a lot about the importance of playing in adult education the accessing of that inner child In my next episode, we'll chat with a mother to talk about her own experience as a mother, as an educator of two beautiful little girls who grew out to be wonderful young teenage daughters. But in this second part of today's episode, where I'm more tracing a path than answering questions. I want to go back to Jean Piaget, a great psychologist who studied the behavior of kids and, and was maybe the father of modern education theories. We'll come back to him in a second, trying to explore and understand what are the phases that a kid' mind, as they learn, goes through to better understand and better inform what is social media trying to do with us as we discover those novel ways of engaging. And now let's go to a short break to hit pause Reflect, or just continue. And welcome back to Hit Pause. I mentioned just a few minutes ago that we'd explore a little bit Champiagé. I I was exposed to his theories uh, when I was about 18 years old or something like that, and... I do not remember the exact occurrence of where I was when I read about him or what I was doing, but I remember the, the emotional pleasure at discovering that he had, with all the scientific discipline of, of, psycho- of a psychologist, doing studies, developing psychological tests, that would be deemed worthy of such by his peers, his industry, uh, and the world, Uh, he developed a theory that play was one of the core engines of a good child development. Later on, many of his theories got to be implemented as part of novel curriculums uh, in the UK, in France, in the US, and then he became uh, and still is one of the, the grand names of the, the psychology field. But it's astonishing that maybe 40 years later, I remember an emotion. I remember a, an emotion attached to the memory of a novel idea which arguably is should be a a cortical process of memorization. But as we all know, memory is, in fact, colored by emotions. Uh, The brain has a natural tendency which been studied and observed and recognized to fix positive memories and to try to forget negative memories. famous, famous uh, artifact of the human memory, which is, of course, used a lot when the police tries to ask witnesses for what happened, why uh, people have different memories of the same event, why the emotion um, is a major ingredient in remembering a fact, an event, No surprise that social media feeds on that and fuels virality on the basis of of that. What matters is the intensity of the emotion. It is not the veracity of the fact that is shared or learned. But I digress, as I sometimes can do in this little safe space of of this podcast. So Jean Piaget... um, with all his years of studying lots of kids and interacting with them, discovered something and maybe built a different a method that was a method really respecting the kids that he was working with. He, he was letting them be themselves and not intervening as an adult, telling the kid what they need to do. He was a true listener. And that's is an amazing quality to, to have. He theorized, developed his views on the phases that a human brain goes through as a kid, might as well say you, might as well say I, all follow when we grow up. And that makes us a unique species in the animal kingdom, in the mammal kingdom, arguably a newborn is not a fully formed human being what is fascinating with the human uh, animal psyche is that we are um arguably made of very uh, long stories years of formation and maybe hopefully through an entire life, we can learn, we can change, we can continue to perfect ourselves. Whereas a wolf, a dolphin, an animal, a bear, a bird, have to function and learn fairly quickly to be autonomous in life to be able to survive. It's as simple as that. Maybe some animal species are going to be more akin to the human development but a dog a cat a bird will develop much faster than a human does Um, and that is probably a key differentiation as well that defines the human race so the four stages of piaget uh, broken into first a stage that that spans maybe from birth to about two years, so the the baby to the toddler. Um, And that first stage, which is called sensory motor, is a stage where the learning process, the joy of learning, is about the apprehension of the physical world around us. And maybe if you have the chance to remember your first and early memories, um, you can tap into that. My first ever memory um, was a memory that is still imprinted in my uh, brain. Um, I retraced those talking with family members to when I was about three months old looking at the pine tree above me when I was in the baby crib at my grandmother's house in the garden in the French Pyrenees. And I remember a smell of that tree. That's my first memory ever, three months old. And it's a sensory and visual memory that I remember. And during that phase, um, what the brain does is to start apprehending the world, to start putting a sense of physicality, space, 3D apprehension. We all have the image of the kids reaching out with their little fingers to try to touch things, to try to put things to the mouth, as if the world was one with the kid there is a very, um, the way I'm thinking about it, expansive view of the ego in the sense that everything at that age, in that time, is I. Uh, Subconsciously, I equate it, if I digress another minute, to the age of Eden, where Adam and Eve do not have a sense of individuation. It is maybe that blissful phase. Sometimes we may live it sooner than others. But subconsciously, I think that the human psyche is attached to that sense of Eden, that sense of absolute unity of all things and all beings with our self, the self of the baby, Uh, where everything makes sense, everything is connected. And maybe deep down, the brain freezes that feeling into a sense of nirvana, Eden, loss, that maybe as adults we have a tendency to try to go back to or try to reconnect with or try to experience again. And so maybe we all carry, in fact, Eden and the sense of unicity of all things uh, through life, long forgetting it sometimes, but sometimes able to access it again through our human experiences. And one of the key things that Piaget identifies in that phase is that... Um, you have to learn to exit that phase the concept of separation you have to learn that an object will still exist even if it is out of sight Um, as of sight out of mind sometimes we say and there is a kernel of deep deep psychological truth behind this which is that um look at what a baby does if you hide Uh, your eyes uh, with your hand in front of a baby. The baby or the toddler, the one-year-old, will mirror you. Another concept that we use in our life and that social media uses. Hide your eyes. The kid does the same and you disappear. And during the sensorial motor phase of the development of a child... If you cannot see something, it does not exist. So you have a magical power during that phase to make something disappear just by not looking at it. And I believe that this is the root engine of magical thinking. This is the ability that the brain builds during that time to be able to not see something, to help us escape a situation um, as a uh, trauma can occur later on in, in life, later on in the age of, in the life of a kid, by not looking at it. Of course, life exists, objects exist, individuation happens. And so the kid goes from that phase to what Piaget calls the pre-operational stage that roughly extends from 2 to 7 years old, where the kid, through language, starts learning individuation, starts learning distanciation, starts learning separation. And the apple of knowledge, the apple of language, I will dare to say, brings in a separation. Adam eats the apple and suddenly he is separated from Eve. The kid learns language and starts understanding that I is different from you. The kid learns language and starts understanding that daddy is different than mommy. And there is a intrinsic pain out of that, but there is also an immense universe that opens up to the kid for learning new things, new tricks, new words. And there is a a joy at making the connections that this word, this sound means something. Cat means cat. Try to close your eyes as you listen to this and just listen to the word cat cat why would this sound mean or designate a cat why does the sound water does not not designate The cat, the animal, it is by pure convention that has been built over thousands of years in the evolution of language that through the ages we are ingraining in our brains at a young age codification and concepts that will follow us with the rest of our life. Again, cat, that sound does not mean anything in and of itself other than imbued by societal codification of a sense of meaning. The sound cat is attached to an object and therefore symbolically is a mirror of the physical world object. And kids have to learn all of this in every language, in every country, different paces kids will start realizing that they are inside the world but that they are different than the world and it's a momentous task that lasts many years and maybe it is the essence of the foundation of a psyche to pay attention to and equip kids robustly with all the tools to make this process of appropriation elegant and essential. We are guiding kids. We are guiding the future of humanity by how we guide kids and help them shape a coherent, well-integrated sense of self, separated from but within the sense of the world. Then comes the third phase that Jean Piaget calls concrete operational stage. This is the phase where a kid between 7 to 11 years old will start bringing in logic and operational thought. Now that the building blocks of a child's psyche, of a young teen, of a future adult are in place, we are ingesting, criticality, logic. I will never ever forget where I was, what the wind force was on my skin when walking with my father uh, in the village of my grandparents. I was seven years old um, and I started asking my father, why does the moon go around the sky and I could see that my father was so proud that I had asked that question which of course many kids around the world have asked there is no magic there but this was one of those moments I was transitioning from the pre-operational stage to the concrete operational stage and when I was 11 years old my father admitted to me and I still remember that pain my father admitted to me that until I had reached that point, I was completely uninteresting to him, his words. I was just a digestive tube. I, I end the quote. So a kid' construction of the world, a kid's psyche, a human being's psyche, gets built block after block, experience after experience, through the ages we are the layers of experiences and social media can tap very deeply and cut through a lot of the cortical uh, logical aspect by precisely tapping into those hidden emotions by precisely tapping into the engines that were made from the need to be seen the need to have a voice the desire to go back to Eden where everything is simple, everything is one, and there is no complexity in that world. And we are yearning subconsciously a return to that cozy phase. And then we enter the fourth and last of the Jean Piaget phases the formal operational stage lasting maybe a lifetime going into logic calculating equations like jeff scargill uh, building projects companies technology apprehending the world mastering the world everything that we consider as what's serious and yet as an adult we are sitting on top of the shoulders of that little kid inside us and we are only as strong as that little kid actually is at functioning in a well-integrated fashion people who recover from trauma people who recover from childhood abuse are hurting because the adults sitting on the shoulders of that little kid uh, are uh, sometimes hurting Through it. And so Piaget teaches us that play, that the joy at um, accessing that inner child is essential in adult life, in teenage years, in the years of the little kid, the years of the toddler, and the years of the baby. And it is that novelty that taps into us to make us color our memories, to make us color our analysis, to make us color our view of the world. And this is where social media comes back in. We are today, as humanity, as a human species, as an animal species, learning a novel way of interacting. We are learning a novel way of communicating. We have been taught, many of people in my generation have been taught and our brains have been shaped by traditional modes of communication, hierarchical modes of communication, where parents would have a voice and the kids would listen, where the kids would be told, you only express yourself at the dinner table when you're called for. Um, some of my friends in my generation in France used to call their parents, vous. The French has this polite form of expression beyond the "tu," And whether you say "tu" to your parents or vous is indicative of a certain social status, social class. I wonder if today's kids would understand that. When kids today are learning communication skills through the guise of social network medium at a young age, are they forming a new view of the world? Are they going to behave as adults uh, differently than us? And I posit that the answer is probably yes. Does that mean it's bad or not? No. But it means that the guidelines, the parental guidelines, the school guidelines to help them cope with the universe of human interactions where now we are in a transition phase, having the gamut of brains and generations who were educated a certain way to those novel ways of communicating, that's unique because I believe that the changes in communication have never been so accelerated in the lifetime of humanity. Like we saw in the first episodes of season one, it took tens of thousands of years, if not longer, to go from oral transmission to the writing. We went then from writing to uh, radio, audio, within... 40, 50 years. Then we went from audio only to TV and images in the span of 40 years. And now we're coming and adding hypervelocity, hyperbroadcast, hypermulticast, hyperunicast, one-on-one mass manipulation of messages in the course of two, two decades. Where is this headed? I don't know, but it surely is calling for novel ways of educating, novel ways of parenting, novel ways of adult learning. Maybe all rooted in what I hope and what I think might be a guiding rod in all this, which is play, a sense of play, a sense of joy, a sense of reconnecting people with a sense of control to give ourselves as those new human beings in this social media world a sense of controlling the world, apprehending the world, so that we become not the objects of the social media medium, but we become solid adult participants in that societal change. With this, I'm going to leave you for this episode. Um, in the next episode, we'll be in conversation with a friend, again, Caroline Nato. She's a mother. Um, she uh, has been on the board of uh, many associations and parent-teacher groups uh, in the schools of her kids. She is um, a non-profit a worker as well and she has a unique vantage point as a mother, as the mother of two girls as the wife of a Silicon Valley technology executive um, and we'll listen to her perspective uh, on all of this and, and how it translates into her daily life in her family, with her kids and this brave new world of, of social media for now With pondering those notions, letting you go back to your sense of Eden, to those times when you were a kid, a baby, a toddler, I will let you ponder how does it feel to just listen to the word cat. Thank you and good night. This podcast is a simple way of sharing my thoughts. It is a personal endeavor, nothing more, a way to connect. The views and opinions represented in this podcast are solely mine. There in no way, nor should they be assumed to be shared, supported, endorsed by my employer, the sponsors of this show, Anker.fm, where it is hosted, and all the distributors thereof. You may find more information, links, pictures, videos, documents and more which may have been referenced in this podcast on my website at slash podcast there it feels so much better after saying all of this And so, it's time to part ways, at least for now. Until next time, time to say goodnight, time to hit pause.